there's a sense in which the traumatized are ministering to the ta- traumatized. Right. Um, you know, th- there's not a sense that those who are doing the ministry, as it were, are somehow kind of protected from some of the very painful effects of the of the lockdown. Hello, welcome to the Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthardt, and I'm part of the Wellspring team. As a pastor for almost 30 years, I've had the privilege and opportunity to experience ministry from the inside out. And now as part of the Wellspring team, I get to walk with other pastors and leaders along with the rest of our staff and team to help them bridge the disconnect that often exists between our inner and outer life. We're talking about paying attention to your soul. And in this podcast, we get to have conversations with authors, pastors, and others who are navigating this journey as well. And today, I am so excited for our guest conversation. We're talking with Trevor Hudson, who's just a remarkable person, but let me tell you a little bit about him. He's been part of the Methodist movement in South Africa for more than 35 years. He is an author, prolific one, in fact, written over 15 books. He teaches in a variety of settings at Fuller Seminary, Renovari Institute, the Dallas Willard Center, and others. He is a remarkably thoughtful, engaging, and delightful person. Please enjoy our conversation today with Trevor Hudson. I'm curious how you've seen the church, both in South Africa, and perhaps you have a probably a little more global perspective, and maybe even what you observe from a distance in the U.S. as you interact with pastors and leaders in the U.S. How are you seeing the church respond, both well and not as well, in um, right. in this season? Right, yeah, Richard. That's you know a very big a very big question. Mm. Um, um, as I reflect upon the South African, the South African context, I, I value kind of responding to a big question like that, maybe from a very local perspective. So mm-hmm. it really brings it down, yes. you know, into the nitty gritty of local life. Mm-hmm. So um, if I were to respond from the context of the local Methodist family with which I'm linked here in Benoni, just outside of Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. Um, our own response has been at at a num at, at at different levels. I think there there has uh, there has been a a very very um, strong response just in terms of ensuring that folk who uh, through the lockdown period simply did not have access, you know, mm. simply because of a job retrenchment or simply no income. Um, it really hit very hard. Um, you know, we already have high un- unemployment figures in this country, almost reaching to 40%, wow. which is very high. Yes. So the amount of social need just at the, at very basic levels mm. of um, of of food, um, 
you know, we have been very, very significantly involved in terms of making sure that people have something to eat. Wow. Um, so that that has been one uh, kind of uh, response at, at a very basic level. Mm. Um, obviously, the the other responses of, of of seeking to continue our own life of worship online as as best as we can to keep offering that. I think another very important area, and I've been quite involved in this, has been creating conversational spaces online for people who um, have really been um, traumatized mm. by the by the lockdown to somehow come into a relatively safe conversational space uh, to be able to uh, just to be able to give voice Mm. Uh, to to what they're experiencing at the moment. And so a lot of my own energy at a local level has been in the creation of these, um, of these conversational spaces. For example, a conversational spaces for um, high school pupils whose mm. education has been interrupted. Um, um, conversational spaces for people who've lost loved ones too locked. To the, to the virus, um, et cetera. So just mm. seeking to, to stay as connected as possible within conversation and seeking in some way uh, to, to respond to the trauma. But as I often say, those in ministry themselves are traumatized. Right. So there's a sense in which the traumatized on ministering to the tra traumatized, right? Um, you know, th there's not a sense that those who are doing the ministry, as it were, are somehow kind of protected from some of the very painful effects of the of the lockdown. Yeah. And I'm curious, is you? And I love that 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 seems like a beautiful gift to offer to people. Is just even a space to talk about what they're experiencing and how they're navigating this, um, this, this time that is so difficult. Um, I'm, it, could you talk a little bit about what, because one of the things that I observe is that as pastors, as leaders, we often want, you know, we want to help. We want to be helpers. And yet um, we also, I think perhaps it's more of a Western context. I don't know is we want to fix, you know, we want to, we want to rush to, well, here's a solution. And yet some of these things aren't things we can jump in and fix, right, at least right. not in a short-term way. Right. But love, right. What, what does that kind of conversational space look like? It's, well, obviously it's, it's had to happen online. Right. Um, so it seeks to bring together people who've shared a common experience of loss Mm. Of, of of one kind or another, mm. and in many senses, uh, Richard, it hasn't sought to it hasn't sought to fix up at all. It's mm. mainly it's almost it, I don't know if this makes sense. It's almost provided some kind of wailing wall, mm. you know, where people can lament. Yes, where people can um, at least have a sense of visibility. Um, in you know in their loss um, and the loss that they've experienced, so I think it's 
it's and it's trusting isn't it it's trusting that within that kind of conversational space where there isn't where some things are just not fixable as you say right somehow providing that space for conversation and honoring of each other's um, tears or pain and trusting that in that kind of conversation that God is able also to, in some measure, restore and re-energize or just keep people going. Mm. Um, so it's, I guess it's, it's, it's this attempt to, the only phrase I have for it is to kind of, you know, create safe conversational spaces that, that offer opportunity for lament, for tears to be, um, to, be, to be shared. And where there is a very deliberate attempt, especially by myself often uh, as a host of those conversations, not to fix up or to, you know, to sort out, but really to, um, to, to facilitate that conversation. And then I think, I think also seeking to really evoke a conversation around what people in their own experience have found life-giving as well mm. within this context. So there is a, a, a deep dimension of, of lament, of shared struggle, and then also maybe looking for those little bits of little bits of hope yes. that we can also share with each other. And it's not a case of, I think, people fixing each other, but people maybe just giving witness hmm. to, to how they are able in a traumatic situation hmm. to be able to remain relatively human and sane. I, I'm my observation, and I, I'm not uh, alone in observing this. And in the United States, in particular, perhaps in the West, we uh, we don't do lament very readily. It seems we're unfamiliar with uh, that part of the journey. In my, as many have pointed out, why do you? Why do you, would you first? Would you agree with that? And um, and what what can help us to embrace this part because this is just one of the parts of a, a life with god right is is right to embrace lament but we don't right. to, we seem to resist right. that right lament has been part of our history in many ways mm. you know that i think you know we you know we come in through the whole era of apartheid mm. um where so much grief and lament was expressed very often in singing, uh, singing, you know, singing, um, just singing very um, simple, haunting melodies of grief. Mm. That, and, and somehow that shared lament um, historically. So we have a bit of a history here where we have lamented together often. Um, mm. 
And I think in some strange way, that history of lament, we've been able to access it, even though we're not within an, an apartheid era at the moment. We're in a, an era of a very young democracy, none with all its fault lines. I think that lament dimension, I think many of us have been able to access. And certainly these conversational spaces that are called, they they kind of spaces of informal lament. I think that's the one comment I want to make. I think another comment I would want to make is that those of us who have pastoral responsibility for worship and for um, the facilitation of worship and the um, planning of worship. I think we've got a huge responsibility, Richard, to to really um, ensure that we don't slip over into a, a, a flippant or an easy triumphalism mm. in in this moment. Um, that we really share the the lament of those that are grieving very, very, very deeply. And so I would want to be, now when I watch the USA um, scenario from a distance, and I'm so hesitant to comment because it's not my context, but sometimes I'm a little bit, um, I think I would have a concern about worship experiences that are happening within the context of great pain but they are worship experiences that are ignoring the pain of that society, of that context. Yes, yes. And I think that is not, I don't think that is helpful. I think somehow, you know, I think of Paul's admonition, rejoice, we'll rejoice when you rejoice, you know, weep with you, when you weep. I think there is a deep sense that, that perhaps those who do have privilege, that those who... Um, um, well, let me just stop, leave it at that, that those perhaps whose lives have not been as tragically affected by recent events as others, I think really need to enter into the lament of those who are suffering greatly. I think it's a, it's a critical, critical dimension of our witness at the moment, sharing lament. Um, and then I think lastly, not letting go of just tenaciously holding on to the hope of our faith mm-hmm. that, you know, we are involved with a God who does God's best work in a graveyard and that we are involved with a resurrection a resurrected Christ. And I don't want to be flippant here, but one who has, who lives beyond crucifixion, who, and, you know, who has defeated the powers of evil, sin and death, mm. and, and somehow holding on to that and embodying that, but not doing that in an abstract way, mm. doing it within that context of shared lament um, uh, in our worship. So that's, I don't know if that's helpful in any way, Richard, but those are some of the comments that just spontaneously come um, uh, that I offer to you. Yes, thank you. It's extremely helpful. And I find that we are, my again, my 
perspective and observation in, in, in the U.S., and this is very broad in general, but that I observe us being very uh, uncomfortable, perhaps, or unused to um, lament or language lament, and right, right. and we were we're in a, such a hurry to, we want to acknowledge it and then we kind of want to get over it. Move and then on, sure. the right. triumph, we, we are in a sense, we, we, we don't like to be on good Friday. We want to, we want to spend sure. our time on Easter Sunday. And, right. sure. um, and that, you know, I think you're, that's really important to hold those things in tension. And, right. Right. Um, and as you talked about, Pastors themselves uh, and leaders are among those who are themselves experiencing trauma. In some ways, as I have been talking to leaders and pastors, their whole job description, in a sense, and way of doing ministry has been in almost, you know, suddenly rewritten and, and having to pivot to this all online and how to pastor. Um, what are you seeing that's... Um, helping pastors navigate this time and what is um what's what's what are the hurdles that they're having to try and overcome sure right 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 you know one of the great challenges i think at the moment and i just say say this aloud one of the great challenges at the moment facing local congregations i would want to suggest is the sheer exhaustion of their own leadership Mm. Um, so, uh, and I think that's what I meant when I spoke about the traumatized ministering to the traumatized. So I think, I think the, the just define, not defining, but maybe describing what our present reality is, is a helpful starting point. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't know who it was, Max, uh, Max it was one of the, uh, the leadership folk from, from the States who once said the first task of a leader is to define reality. And uh, I think, I think sometimes we've just got to name and find words for the, the reality that we are in as pastors. So for me, that is a starting point. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think sometimes that can be very difficult for pastors who perhaps are used to, um, you know, perhaps having it together or maybe, you know, uh, constantly maybe uh, offering to people kind of answers uh, and, and kind of now finding themselves caught up and sharing very deeply the struggles of the people that they themselves are pastoring. So for me, I think, again, I would be on the side of, of pastors finding safe, Con again, I come back to the safe conversational spaces um, whereby they are able to name the sources of exhaustion and overwhelming that they are experiencing. Mm -hmm. I think I think uh, I think we're I, th I think when we're in a situation of overwhelming, I think we need to oh, I think we need to name the overwhelming. I think that's so important. This is how I'm feeling overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I need to describe it as clearly as I can. I need to I think um really um be able to verbalize how it's 
how this overwhelming experience that I'm in is knocking my life out of shape mm-hmm. and knocking my vocation out of shape. And I think for me, that is the starting point. Mm. And then I think in terms of response to that, I think I would say that, and this is what I keep saying to myself because I'm also traumatized. Right. What I, what I keep saying to myself and to others is keep paying attention to the shape of your life that has been knocked out of shape. Hmm. Um, and, and just ensure that, that you are nurturing those rhythms that can be s- somewhat sustaining and nourishing in an overwhelming time. And I think we can really help each other with this. You know, re- how can I just recover for myself some shape to my life that will be re-energizing, restorative, uh, and sustaining um, in a context of real overwhelming? So can I ask if I can uh, be so bold as this, could you, would you be willing to talk about what rhythms you personally are embracing that are helping you in this? Right. Uh, thank you. I'm always a little hesitant to, <laughs> you know, uh, but I think I can just share what I find, what I can, I can just be honest with you and say, this is what, what, what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think for me, I've, it's been very important to, um, to to stay relative to to sleep to have rhythms of sleep and rest mm-hmm. to to exercise. Um, I know that sounds a little bit you know, but for but it's just starting with a real care for my just for my my physical well-being at this stage has been really, really important. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think moving on from that, um, I often say to folk, you know, the best thing we can do is to to just follow Jesus into the, the kinds of things that he did in the midst of an overwhelming uh, social uh, situation that just sustained him in his humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think the things that really stand out for me, um, and I'm, this is just really off the, the things that really stand out for me was, I think somehow in a situation of overwhelming suffering, Jesus knew how to push the pause button. He knew how to stop. He, he, he had this ability and capacity just for moments here and there, just for a moment to disengage from the immensity of the need around about him in order, I think, to find some kind of sustenance and restoration. I'm I'm sure he got weary. I'm sure he was tired. I'm sure he was exhausted. But you never have a sense that Jesus was worn out in a sense of burnt out. Mm. Um, And I think that this capacity to stop in the midst of pressing, pressing needs 
takes a lot of courage. Mm. Um, I think sometimes when we are tired, we almost do more. Yeah. If you make sense. We, you know, we almost do more because somehow thinking that that's going to be helpful. But I think there's something around this capacity to stop, to pause, to find spaces for oneself to, to of solitude, of silence, of, mm. I think that's, I think another very important, um, a very, very important um, rhythm for myself has been to maintain my friendships and mm. to nurture friendships. You know, Jesus had this uh, incredible capacity to, to build circles of friendship in his ministry. Um, you know, the beloved disciple, Mary Magdalene, the three that go up the mountain with him, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany. He just had, the, he had these circles of, fri- of human friendship. And, and I think it's, I think pastors sometimes are too lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, one pastor said to me the other day, I've got so many acquaintances and colleagues, but I don't have a three o'clock in the morning friend. Mm-hmm. And that phrase has just stuck with me. So I would want to build friendships. And I think most importantly of all, Richard, I would want to, and here I speak very carefully, <clears throat> I would want to, nurture my capacity for joy Mm. Um, and i think that our first line of defense against burnout and weariness and exhaustion our first line of defense i think is joy and i think and i'm not talking about a fizz pop joy i'm not talking about um, I think there is something about the joy of Christ. You know, I've, what did he say in John 15, 11? I, I've taught you all these things so that my joy may be in you, your joy complete. That there's something around the joy of Christ that I want to rub off on my life. And I don't think it's going to rub off on my life without some, some um, how do I say this, with some... I don't think joy is going to drop on the top of my head. I think I need to, I need to put myself maybe into some um, very simple practice that opens my life up to joy um, a little bit more fully and a little bit more deeply. And so for me, it's for me, if you ask me, Trevor, how do you do it? I'm just seeking to say thank you as often as I can during the day for every little gift Mm. um, to live as deeply as I can in the present moment, not to not to um, not to be overcome by the unpredictability of the future, but to really live in the present, enjoy the gifts of the present and be open to the surprises of God in the present. Mm. Um, but for me, I, I, almost every day I say to the Lord, Lord, I, I would appreciate it so much if just some of your joy could just rub off on my, uh, on my life today a bit. Yeah. That's beautiful. And it seems like there is a, um, a real connection between gratitude and joy. 
There is. I, I really do think so. And maybe the gratitude part is maybe the, the human part, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Maybe God, maybe, you know, joy being the fruit of the spirit, God gives the joy. Maybe we can enter into that joy with this very, very simple practice of, of, of heartfelt gratitude for, for those things that we just really do enjoy in the midst of the trauma you know the cup of coffee the walk with the dogs the you know a moment of of closeness and intimacy whatever it may be just moments that i'm deeply deeply joyful for and to really enter into a deep gratitude for them I want to come circle back to something you just talked about about lead pastors and leaders on and this is you know by far not new but you talked about and just highlighted how lonely often leaders are and you've talked about that that three in the morning friend I have acquaintances but I don't have that and that's a great phrase that that middle of the night phone call or, sure. or whatever it looks like you know what pastors or leaders might be hearing this and saying, but I, but I can't be that vulnerable with people in my church. I have to leave sure. them. Um, sure. Or sure. I don't even know how to go about finding friends sure. like that. What, what, yeah. what might you say to yeah. them? Right. Well, I would want to just take what they say very seriously. I think I would want to start there. Uh, I would want to, under, I would want to seek to understand as deeply as I can what the effects of not having friends has had on them. Mm. Um, I would, so again, I would want to start with the reality of the situation. Mm. Um, I would, I would want to begin to explore with them whether they want to have friendships. Would they, are they do, is this something they really want? Um, because I do think, I do think what we want is important uh, I always think of Jesus, you know, turning to his very first question in the in the New Testament. You know, what do you want? Uh, I, and I, I and I I think you know, do you want to step out of your very private world into the risky world of of friendship? Mm -hmm. um, so I would want to I think talk about that, and then I think you know, as Richard, I think. You know, friendship just takes such a, 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 it just takes a lot of time and it's a slow work and it's not quick fix. Um, so I've, but once, once I've expressed a desire to invest myself in friendship, I then can begin to go about that. And I, I always find that in my little, in my circle of friendship, I do understand it's very hard to grow friendships and it may even be not appropriate at a very deep level and to, you know, within the same, within the congregation one is ministering. But, and that might mean that I, I can just, I just may just need to look beyond that circle of congregational members. I have, found it very, very important. I don't know about you. I found it very important in my own circle of friendship to, to look especially for someone who's about 10 years older than me, who I think 
who I think has suffered well and lived well mm-hmm. and wisely. Mm. And I, over the years, I've put, I've taken all courage and I'll go to them and I'll say, you know, do you mind if we can just hang out a bit? Do you mind if we can have a cup of coffee together? And the reason I'm asking you is because I just, there's something about your life that touches me deeply. And I would love to, I would love to have more conversations with you. And I think there is that element of risk taking um, that, you know, that we do need to take, but I just feel that we are dealing so often with people who drain our energy and I'm not knocking that, mm-hmm. but we do need some people in whose company we are not drained, mm. but we are resourced yeah. and, I, and we need to find that. And I think that's where a program like you're involved in, Richard, I think must be an absolute gift uh, to so many pastors. Um, in in that it provides that space for some friendship to grow. Mm. I love that you talked about someone who's older, you know, someone who's, whether or not we would specifically perhaps even call them a mentor. Sure, sure, sure. But just to even say, and I love your description, someone who suffered well and lived well. That is something to look for. What what is it about suffering well? and, or, or when you think about, I guess maybe even to back that up, what does it mean in, when you say someone who suffered well? I think what I mean is someone who has not avoided their suffering, mm. who has not numbed themselves, mm. um, someone who has... L- has really, as it were, quote, unquote, drunk the cup, mm. uh, held the cup and drunk it. Um, someone who has lamented, who, and someone who somehow has, somehow has not, that, the, that their suffering has deepened their connection with, other human beings rather than turn them inward Mm. and, and cut them off from other human beings. That's, you know, that somehow their suffering has deepened their understanding of the human condition Mm. and given them perhaps an empathy and a non-judgmental response and understanding um, they've been delivered from, you know, quick answers or easy answers because they know they're none of them um, and cliches. Um, so that's what I mean, I think. Someone who's, who's, you know, who really has whatever was in that cup did not avoid it, but they drank it and it took them into a deeper experience of their own humanity and the humanity of, of others. Mm. That's uh, very profound to just sit with. And, and I've, I've observed as I, as I've uh, traveled in my life that finding people like that is in some ways they're, they're more rare, but, but they're out there. There are, 
gold. Right. But we have to, I, I love what you said. We, it's the intention to even seek out relationships. Right. So sure. Be intentional. Right. And I think often those people that we, I think that, you know, that they're not going to be the superstars. Uh, they're going to be hidden. They're going to be the hidden. You know, I, I always think the saints are always hidden and they will be the hidden ones, but, but they have a life that, that really does speak very deeply. You mentioned superstars, and uh, since we're talking to leaders and with and about leadership and pastoral leadership in particular and ministry leadership, I don't know how much to the degree to which this is true in South Africa, but um, in the U.S., there seems to be such uh, a focus uh, that is within, particularly in the evangelical circle, uh, or world to to build a name somehow sure. to and I know this isn't new but it seems like we're in a time especially with uh, digital and online platforms and everybody um, you know comparing themselves with the latest author speaker superstar um, that that seems to be creating um, well it seems to be very problematic uh, for the church when, when you have some that attain it and find it not satisfying or, uh, and implode or, and others who are just unhappy or, um, or feel like they're not enough because they aren't that, you know, their, their following isn't growing in the way that they thought it should, or even maybe even they feel like people in their church expect them to become that kind of superstar or, or more of a, of one than they are. Um, would you, is that something that you've observed as well in um, even whether it's in South Africa or as you, as you come alongside pastors in, uh, in the U S as you teach and as you observe, what do you see around that phenomenon? I think all one can, I think all that one can do, I think, is just chip away at the level of offering an imagination around the pastoral vocation that is not celebrity based. Mm. And so I'm constantly, for myself as well, I'm constantly wanting an imagination to develop a, a pastoral imagination mm. of what it means to be a faithful pastor. Mm. And, and I think once that settles uh, in our hearts and minds, I think, I think it helps us a great, great deal. I'm not called to be a cheerleader. I'm not called to be a... Um, a celebrity, whatever that may mean. Um, um, I, I am called to be a pastor. Mm. And, and for me and for us to help each other. Um, and, you know, I think that many of us, I think if we sometimes maybe can stay close to what actually brought us in in the first place, um, and I think somewhere along the line, we get seduced and we drift away 
into a, 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 a style of ministry that is numerically based, um, and people even talk about a certain brand in, you know, this is how we're going to brand mm-hmm. our church. You know, it's, it's language that is really foreign to, to what it means to be a pastor of God's people in a particular locality. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So I think if we can just help each other and have friends who will, who will hold us, I don't always like the word accountable, but let me use it, just who will affirm what is most genuine in me and will challenge maybe what's the worst in me, mm-hmm. you know, that part of me that succumbs to the temptation uh, to make a name for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, thank you. I, I love that term, our, that imagination, because in some ways we think, you know, our imagination is very limited when it only becomes about more people, you know, more resources, more, more, more. That's, and I guess that's a very U.S. Uh, kind of trait, right? We, we're, we're always a more up and to the right kind of people, it seems like. Um, so maybe you could, if you could, just that spur our pastoral imagination a little bit. What, what, what is the you know, what is a picture uh, of a of a pastoral vocation that is um, that is thriving and flourishing in in the way that we um, our hearts long for, as you've seen it? Wow, you're asking wonderful questions. Um, I think that at the heart of it, if I may say this, there would be the importance. Of myself, of the pastor herself or himself, seeing themselves primarily as a follower of Christ. Mm. So I think it begins that my primary identity is not as a professional, whatever, that my primary identity myself is I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm also seeking to follow him. I'm on the journey. I'm learning. And I think it's important somewhere along the line. I don't know where that often gets lost. And I think we kind of lose our amateur status Hmm. uh, as, as Christ followers and we become professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and when I argue for, to, uh, when I argue, you know, that I always want to be an amateur, that does not mean incompetence. Uh, the classical meaning of being an amateur is I'm in this for the love of it. I'm, I'm, I'm in this for the love of God and love of people. Um, so that's where I would want to start with pastors and their imagination. Who are they before God? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is the complexity of their own identity as beloved of God, as followers of Christ? Can that be really nurtured and nourished so that I begin to pastor out of that identity? 
Mm. I think then, I think part of that imagination, I think for me as a pastor, critically, would be the, the, the obvious centrality of, um, of worship and really um, facilitating moments of, of real worship uh, for the people that I'm called to pastor. Mm. Um, and I, I would want to place that at the very heart of my imagination, mm. um, that, that, that this is absolutely central to my calling. Um, I think as part of that imagination, Richard, I would want to place this, the sacredness of every image bearer in my congregation. Mm. Um, the they not they not a pew sitter they are not another st- a statistic, they are a unrepeatable image bearer, and I'm I keep on wanting to nurture the imagination that I see each person in my congregation, or the congregation I pastor, to see them in this way, and I think that does something to the way that I. I relate to them and get alongside of them. Let me say two more things because I'm going on too long here. I think on the one hand, there is a deep, deep desire in the hearts of our people today for a spirituality that, that is real. And um, I think to put it very simply, I think there are a lot of people who are saying to their pastors, will you teach me how to pray? Will you teach me how to relate to God? Will you teach me and help me in my walk with God? And I I feel a responsibility as a pastor there. And then I think on the missional dimension, I would again, you know, what is the context in which Uh, we have been placed as a local congregation and what are the human cries that that are in this particular context and how can we uh, as a congregation be deeply deeply related to the human cries that are in the 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 locality in which we are placed Um, so those would be for me some critical ingredients of a pastoral imagination. I wonder if you could offer what what is it that you feel hopeful about? I know, and you know, we are in a, a difficult a time uh, globally, and the church is. Some, you know, fear it's facing increasing irrelevance, particularly in the U.S. and certainly is in other places. Um, there's some, there's a sense of, of fear, perhaps, around, you know, all kinds of social, political, global issues. But uh, what is it that gives you hope and encouragement, particularly around the church these days? A few things, Richard. Um, I think one is that at one level the church has been prodded almost i think by god into really engaging the realities of our time Mm. and i think if we don't engage them i think we will i think 
I think it'll be very sad, but I think there is something hopeful for me when, when we are able to face the reality that we're in, however difficult and complex and painful it may be. You know, reality is God's home address. <laughs> you know, God meets us not in unreality. God meets us in reality. And I find that so hopeful that the more I can face the reality of my own life, the more that I can face the reality of the context in which I'm in, I think I'm becoming more open to a real relationship with God mm. who is going to meet me in these realities. And so I think my hope is rooted in the, for me, the deep reality that we are involved with a God who is continuously present and active in all the realities that we are facing. Mm. And, the, and the more that we can face these realities together, um, I think we, we are going to become open to a work of God in our life that will take us beyond some of the superficialities of the past. Mm. Um, I really do. And I think my hope lies in that. Mm. Um, as I watch, like just even this conversation and maybe the group that are gathered around you, that as pastors and as the church name these realities, describe them, face them, embrace them. For me, the hopeful thing is that God is in the facts of our lives and, and comes to us with invitations into a new gospel faithfulness and creativity. Um, that's going to call something that we didn't even know we had <laughs> out of us, you mm. know. Uh, and that's where my hope is rooted and based. And uh, um, That is profound and beautiful and very meaningful. Thank you. Well, Trevor, what a gift it has been to have this conversation with you today. I wonder if I could ask something a little uh, different uh, than, than just asking you a question. Would I, could I ask you to pray for the, those who will hear these words, wherever, wherever they are and uh, whatever context they're in, could, could sure. I just ask for, for you to yeah, just... Certainly, Richard, certainly. Thank you. Certainly. Dear God, thank you so much that you are continuously present and active in every uh, experience, in every encounter, in every event of our lives, however difficult or painful. And I ask, Lord, that in our lives, you would renew our trust and our confidence 
in your living presence and in your living activity, that we may just begin to recognize where you are at work and where you are inviting us into new expressions of, of faithfulness and creativity and, and that you will give us the courage to respond. Lord, I, my heart, I think, as I pray at the moment, Lord, I pray for those who, who perhaps have felt, who feel that, that they've just have, feel deeply discouraged. And I ask, Lord, that you would come by your spirit to those of our, to those hearts of ours that are really battling with discouragement at the moment. Discouragement about our calling, about our faithfulness, about our situation. And that somehow, Lord, in our discouragement, uh, you will encounter us and that you will begin to renew within us a, a new courage, um, that we don't have to whip up or manufacture, but that somehow your spirit breathes into our tired and weary and exhausted hearts. We really do need you, Lord, and we ask that you would meet us. And we ask for this with all the love and with all the longing of our hearts. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. And thank you so much for that. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for not only this time and this, uh, the wisdom you've shared with us today, but also just for the life you have lived and continue to live as not only an example and a picture of faithfulness and godliness and wisdom, but for continuing to pour that out, there just is such a desperate need for, uh, as, as you yourself said, those who have lived, have suffered well, have lived well, and have served faithfully. And um, I thank you for the gift that you are to the church and uh, to those who read your books and er, er, heard your words and your teaching. Um, truly, thank you. And uh, Thank you, Richard. Uh, I value that, and that means a great deal. Thank you. And thank you. And thank you for this time. Thanks. Bless you, and bless the work you're doing. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's conversation. We hope it's been helpful to you, and we'd love to serve you in any way we can at Wellspring. For more information about who we are and what we do, please go to wellspringca.org or look us up on Facebook. Just search under Wellspring. Until next time, grace and peace.